Coming up on this episode of the Switch Lake City podcast, trade rumors are, they're back, they're out. Tyler Hero to the Jazz, as of today, is a rumor that's going around. I'm going to be talking about the top five lineups I want to see this next season, as well as two very interesting players in their future heading into the summer of 2024, and how the Utah Jazz might be poised to make a big move. Coming up after a word from the sponsor. Just to add to that sponsorship with Underdog Fantasy, it's been great. Um, I, I, I've I, been messing around on Underdog Fantasy, especially with the NFL season, the NCAA football season. Watching Colorado has been a lot of fun. Deion Sanders has been just a great story to follow. Um, but yeah, Underdog Fantasy has made it all that much more fun. So do make sure to use that code. It's a lot of fun. We're getting into the hardest sports and basketball basketball soon i think we're less than 20 days away from the beginning from preseason from preseason basketball that means we're getting close guys and i'm really excited about it um so today i want to start by talking about a little nugget that came out and this isn't the first we've heard of this about a potential tyler hero to the utah jazz trade um this is something that i covered a little bit earlier in the offseason in depth, I looked at Tyler Hero as a player, what I think he could add to the Jazz. So I'm not going to get too far into this. I do just want to touch on a couple of things, though. This episode of the Switch Lake City podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I want to tell you about the easiest way to get in on some action on the NBA. It's Underdog Fantasy and their pick em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite player stats and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps pick between two and five players to fill out your pick entry get every pick right and take home some solid hard cash use the code swish s-w-i-s-h and get your first deposit doubled up to 100 by underdog that means if you pay 100 dollars, then they will match that 100 deposit and you'll have 200 to put on fantasy games Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with my promo code SWISH to get your fantasy, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Sign up today with promo code SWISH and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. In terms of why, concerned with your play, call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. So Jake Weinbach, um, who reports on the NBA, he had an interesting report this morning. Uh, he's usually involved in, it looks like, Milwaukee stuff. But he had an interesting report this morning. He says, if it reaches that point, the Utah Jazz should be considered the favorites to land Tyler Hero in a multi-team deal that would send Damian Lillard to Miami. Danny Ainge wants Tyler Hero. Interesting, interesting stuff. Okay, there's there's a bit to dissect there. Uh, the first thing I think you're looking at is multi-team deal that would send Damian Lillard to Miami. That's something we've been hearing about all season. Um, a straight-up deal between Portland and Miami probably just isn't possible because Miami doesn't have the assets and Portland probably wants a bigger package. Understandable, completely understandable. So you're going to need to include another team. Uh, there have been... A number of options included as like that third team, whether it be the Clippers, the 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, 
Utah Jazz have been throwing in there a lot. So this is a potential um, vertical for the Utah Jazz to get in on a trade if they really do like Tyler Hero. Um, I think there are some pros and cons, but I kind of want to just look at Tyler Hero as a player before we get into what this trade would look like because I think understanding him as a player really helps us understand like how much we would be willing to give up, why the Utah Jazz would do this trade. Tyler Hero in the 22-23 season, he had a pretty good season. Um, all things considered, like this Miami Heat team, let's be clear, I know they had a great, awesome playoff run. They had a pretty crap regular season. Uh, Tyler Hero averaged 20 points, four assists, five rebounds, um, just over two and a half turnovers per game. He shot 43% from the field, 38% from three, 93% from free throw. Um, what we know about Tyler Hero, and we've gotten a pretty good sample size now. He's played four seasons in the NBA. He was drafted in 2019. He's a shooter, and he's a heck of a shooter. Really talented scorer from all three levels. Um, I think just looking at the scoring, there's a lot to like. And look, he's probably like a really good fit for that Miami Heat team because I do think in a lot of ways they need his scoring and they need like his shot creation, his pure shot creation. I think Tyler Hero is elite at that. I think he has a lot of really high attributes as a scorer. Um, So if you're the Utah Jazz, you're kind of looking at that like he could add a shot making element, a shot creation element to our team that we don't really have outside of Jordan Clarkson. So I think that's the main argument if you're the Utah Jazz and you're looking at this trade is he can look, he can add a shot creation element. One thing I really like about Tyler Hero's game, and he's kind of a fun player to watch. Uh, it's very smooth. He, I, I feel like he plays like kind of like sexy basketball, like a lot of getting to the mid range, a lot of like step back threes. Like it, it's, it's kind of sexy, right? I think one underrated thing is I think he's a really good pick and roll ball handler. And I think he does really well in the pick and roll. Um, he's played a lot of pick and roll situations, whether that's with Bam Adebayo or other centers, um, especially with Bam Adebayo. That's been like the big situation that he's rolled with. And they've done really well as kind of a duo. Um, Tyler Hero has makes some good reads out of the pick and roll. I think especially as a shooter, because he's able to exploit that mid range, I feel like it opens stuff up in the pick and roll. And so that's something that I'm looking at where I think that could create a sort of a competitive advantage for the Utah Jazz. I also think his postseason experience is something that you shouldn't necessarily underrate. Uh, his rookie season was the bubble. The Miami Heat got to the finals. He had, I believe, like a 37-point game in the finals. Honestly, kind of ridiculous for a rookie, but it was the bubble, so it probably doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Um, his second year in the NBA, they played the Bucks in the first round, and they lost. That was kind of after there was a lot that season that was going against the Miami Heat, uh, such as short turnaround between seasons, and they lost in the first round to the Bucks. Year three, they get to the conference finals versus the Celtics. And then year four, um, obviously, the Miami Heat just got to the finals, and Tyler Hero wasn't a part of that playoff run. He got injured in game one. 
here's my thing. Like you could say, okay, yeah, the guy has played in a postseason every single season of his career so far. His team has been in the finals twice, been in the conference finals once, lost to the team that would eventually win the championship in one of those years as well. So like, yeah, you can talk yourself into Tyler Hero having a certain level of playoff experience. Is that really the case though? I feel like he's kind of forgettable in a lot of these playoffs. Looking at his career playoff numbers, uh, I don't think it's overly impressive. The guy has averaged 14 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 3.1 assists in 41 playoff games. Uh, This most recent playoffs, he only played 19 minutes. Like I said, played that one game one, had 12 points. The year before, when they got to the conference finals, they played in 15 games. He averaged 12.6 points per game. It's just like, that's pretty forgettable. He shot 40% from the field, 22% from three. So I don't think that's like a very fair argument. I don't think you're looking at Tyler here and like, oh man, the guy has played in almost, he's played in 41 playoff games. Like that's half of a regular season. You're not looking at that and being like, okay, he's going to add this incredible element of playoff experience to the Utah Jazz that they lack. I don't think that's the case you're making. I honestly think it's sort of a counter argument uh, that would talk you out of getting Tyler Hero because he's played in 41 playoff games, awful shooting splits. There are clearly some things that don't translate to the postseason for him. Do you really want that? especially if you're a team that's priming itself to get ready for postseasons, hopefully in the future. I don't know if he's the best fit. I have some other questions about Tyler Hero on the Utah Jazz. Does he really help the Jazz? Like in the immediate short term, I don't think he really does. I don't think he changes anything. Do you think the Jazz's win total in Vegas goes up by adding Tyler Hero? Probably not. No. Um... I think the one thing that you could maybe say is that he could be a potential long-term good asset, good player to have on your books, especially if you're looking to trade for sort of a superstar type player. Then I think it makes sense to have Tyler Hero. Um, One thing that's... Uh, there's, there's some little things I want to talk about. I feel like Tyler Hero doesn't add a ton on defense. He is typically not a good defender. I think that's one of the reasons the Miami Heat weren't necessarily rushing for him to get back into the playoffs is because of that lack of defense, and they were able to find some real things defensively. He's kind of just another mouth to feed on offense. That's how I'm looking at it. I feel like Tyler Hero is in that same archetype of player as Jordan Clarkson, as Colin Sexton, like primarily a scorer. His mind goes to scoring first, and that shows in the numbers. He's a 20-point-per-game scorer. He can do it. That's great. Is that a perfect fit for this team? Is that something that you're willing to give assets over? I would probably say no. Like I said, the one thing I really feel like is going in his favor is the shot creation because he is a talented shot creator. And I do think he would come onto the team and be a unique shot creator that this team doesn't have. Um, Laurie Markkinen, as much and as high as high as I am on Laurie Markkinen, I think he's going to have like a 25 point per game season this year. Shot creation isn't necessarily his thing. Uh, he does a really good job at getting his baskets in a lot of kind of more organic ways than creating for himself. Whereas Tyler Hero does create for himself and he's able to get baskets like that, which I think makes him a very valuable asset for the right team. So what are the jazz? What would, what would the jazz give up 
in a trade for Tyler Hero. I think the first piece is you're probably giving up Colin Sexton because um, you are going to have to clear up cap space. There's also a logjam in your guard rotation right now. Is Colin Sexton a player you're willing to give up for Tyler Hero? In a vacuum, maybe, yeah, because pro- you could probably say that Tyler Hero is a better player than Colin Sexton, especially if you look, just look at like their last seasons. Uh, Tyler Hero's per 36 minute stats last year 20.7 points per game 4.3 assists 5.5 rebounds whereas Colin Sexton was 21.5 points per game 4.3 assists 3.3 rebounds so I mean like they're pretty close uh, from a statistical standpoint obviously two very different players and the way that they score is very different but they're they're pretty close so, does it make sense to get Tyler Hero if you're giving up Colin Sexton? The other thing is, the whole reason that Miami is doing this is they're trying to acquire assets. They're trying to open up cap space. They're trying to get Damian Lillard. So, if you're the Utah Jazz, is that are you giving up assets for Tyler Hero? Is that something that you think is worth it? If so, what assets are you giving up? Like a protected first round pick? Are you giving up a couple first round picks? I do think there is a certain cap. Uh, you're probably not getting up more than two first-round picks. What are the protections going to look like on that, on those? Because that makes the equation so much more complicated. If you're just giving up, like, Colin Sexton, a pick, maybe a little bit of salary filler because you have to fill that salary for Miami, then I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if that's a good trade. I don't think that's a good trade. If you're getting assets to potentially give up Colin Sexton, who's on a smaller contract than Tyler Heroes, and you're getting you're getting assets, you're trading away Colin Sexton, you're getting Tyler Hero. Like I think the difference for me here is whether you are receiving or giving the assets. And ultimately I think that's what it's gonna come down to. I do think the Jazz would be making a statement by acquiring Tyler Hero. And that's probably that they believe in him and either Jordan Clarkson or Keontae George to be able to run the playmaking duties and that they don't feel like Colin Sexton was going to be capable of that. Do you guys, do, do you believe that? I personally think Colin Sexton is just as capable as Tyler Hero to be the point guard for this team. Um, not that either of them is like a perfect fit and wouldn't be my choice to be point guard starting the season, especially. I do think that's where the conversation lands. And you're probably looking at an acquisition of Tyler Hero as him being sort of your lead guard along with Jordan Clarkson, probably playing point guard by committee. Ultimately, I do think it, I, I kind of think it would be a mistake to acquire Tyler Hero. Um, Danny Inch has a history of liking him. He's coveted him in drafts. He's coveted him in trades. There's always been sort of this connection between Danny Ainge teams and Tyler Hero. I don't think it's a coincidence that he's coming up right now. I do think I I would be surprised uh, because I don't think this is a move that necessarily helps you win in the short run or the long run. Coming up right after a little break, I'm going to be talking about the top five lineups I want to see this next season. I think one of the really fun things about this Utah Jazz roster is how deep it is. I talked a little bit about this in the last episode. I thought that was one of the main takeaways. 
and one of the main things going for Utah Jazz this season is their depth. Um, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Markkinen, John Collins, Walker Kessler. That's like probably just your starting lineup. And then you got Ochai Baji, you got Keontae George, you have Taylor Hendricks, you have Omer Yurtsevin. Like there's a lot of pieces on this Utah Jazz team. Chris Dunn, Taylor Horn Tucker, Lucas Simonich, Bryce Hensabaugh. I'm probably missing some. Kelly Olinick. that's an important one that I was missing. There are a lot of pieces. Because there are a lot of pieces, you can also make some really fun lineups. And I think uh, this is a topic I've been wanting to hit on for a little bit because I think it's a fun thought exercise and like you can really put together some unique combinations of players. I will say almost every single one of these lineups has Larry Markkinen and that's just because I feel like he's he's the cornerstone of the franchise. Like it's hard to make a lineup and not include him. Walker Kessler is also featured in a lot of these lineups because he's also sort of that cornerstone. So the first lineup I want to see and I'm excited to see what the starting lineup is going to be. But I kind of want to see this lineup that plays five out, that shoots a lot, that has a lot of different ways to score. So the idea is at the point guard, you have Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson at the two, Ochag Baji at the three, Larry Markinen at the four, Kelly Olenek at the five. You look at that, those five guys, your worst offensive player there is Ochag Baji who definitely has some offensive limitations, but there are also some spots that he really excels at, especially sort of as a spot-up shooter. And so in this scenario, you're kind of using him as a spacer. I also think he would really help on the defensive end. But I feel like this would be a really fun lineup. Uh, there are a couple of different dynamics to it. So one one thing I think the Jazz need in able to maximize Callum Sexton and to maximize the overall playing uh, the playmaking on the roster is to have Kelly Olynyk probably play a lot of minutes with different lineups. I think Kelly Olynyk can kind of be that stabilizing force, especially for a lineup that you look at and it's like, okay, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Ochaik Baji. That's kind of like, that's a lot of guys that could potentially get out of control that maybe you wouldn't consider the best decision makers on the team. So having Kelly Olynyk in there with that squad, I think would do a lot to, to provide stability. Um, I also think what's really attractive about this lineup to me, besides the five out, which I think is just a great way of playing basketball, especially in the regular season. It's the way that each of these guys score. That is so different. Colin Sexton, really good slasher can be a good spot up shooter, but isn't somebody that's like necessarily coming off pin down screens and taking catch-and-shoot jump shots, you know? Like, there's a very stark contrast between the player that Colin Sexton is right now and J.J. Redick when he played for the Los Angeles Clippers. Just, like, two completely different players, you know? So, Colin Sexton, he just adds this slashing effect. He has a lot of gravity as a driver, as a scorer, and I think that would open up things, especially in a five-out lineup, where you could spread the entire floor and have him slash take guys in one-on-one opportunities. One really underrated part of Colin Sexton's game is his ability to ISO. And I think a lot of times when you think ISO, you're going to be thinking about like Carmelo Anthony, Joe Johnson, Michael Jordan, some of these guys that are historically great isolation players. Colin Sexton was one of the best isolation players in the NBA last season, and he just does it in a completely different way. Uh, 
his one-on-one is more of like a slashing, getting into you, getting to the rack, getting to the basket, and that's how he's going to get his bucket. Whereas some of these other guys are, you know, they're posting up, they're getting to their spot. They can literally just shoot over you in the case of Kevin Durant. Colton Sexton is just a completely different player, but he's also a player that has excelled in isolation isolation situations. So if you're able to surround him with four shooters, like four good shooters, Jordan Clarkson, Ochag, Bocci, Larmark, and Kelly Olenek, I think that's a lot of fun, and that's a really fun lineup. Uh, For Laurie, I think it would really open up some driving lanes, and having debatably the two best passers on the team in Colin Sexton and Kelly Olenek, being able to feed him the ball, I think, would be a lot of fun. The this lineup has some limitations. Um, I think there there's going to be some interesting shot selections uh, between Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson. I also think Ochai Baji sometimes does that, but it seems like he has kind of figured out what his shot diet is going to look like. Defensively, there are a lot of limitations, and that's why I think that's where it gets really scary. Uh, having Ochai in there as probably your best defender is a little bit scary. I think Laurie tries, Sexton tries, Kelly tries. Like these are these are all five guys that try on defense generally, but you're not looking at any of them and classifying them as world class defenders. Uh, none of them are a guy that, and I think that's just the nature of their positions. But none of these guys are guys that can necessarily hold the line defensively. Okay, the next lineup I want to look at is what I'm calling the lineup of the future. And I think it's going to be our projected starting lineup in, I don't know, barring any trade, barring any big situations, this is probably like what our starting lineup looks like in four to five years. Keontae George at the one. I love it. Ochai Baji at the two. Larry Markinen at the three. Taylor Hendricks at the four. And Walker Kessler at the five. This lineup is very dynamic. Uh, Defensively, you have three really good defenders and four guys that have a lot of good positional size in Ochai, Laurie, Taylor Hendricks, and Walker Kessler. I think the only minus defender in this lineup is Keontae George. I think Laurie's size makes up for his, maybe some of his defensive shortcomings. The big, the big question with this lineup is is Keontae George a good enough ball handler to live in the lineup where he really doesn't have another ball handler like Ochai and Laurie can kind of do a little bit I have no idea what to make of Taylor Hendricks ball handling and playmaking abilities yet especially in an NBA setting I thought he did he had moments at UCF but those moments could look completely different once the NBA season starts and then Walker Kessler, like, uh, look, Walker Kessler isn't Nikola Jokic, and that's fine. He doesn't need to be. So you're putting a lot of trust on Keontae George to be the playmaker, to be the guy that sets the table, and to be probably the best shot creator out of this lineup. There are a lot of things that are going for this lineup, though. You have size. You have shooting. Uh, and you're playing four out, one in, with Keontae Ochai, Lari, Taylor Hendricks outside, Walker Kessler in. That's really attractive. I think that's really fun. Defensively, I I feel like the combination of Walker Kessler, Taylor Hendricks, and Laurie Markinen is such an intriguing combination because that's a ton of size. 
you have two savvy defenders in there in Walker Kessler and Taylor Hendricks. Taylor Hendricks, I think, is going to come in as a good defender. I've talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to hit this point too hard. But I really, really like the secondary rim protection. I also think he has the ability to maybe guard some of these threes. And let's say you're playing a team like the Boston Celtics and you're matching up with that squad. Okay, so you got Walker Kessler on like Robert Williams, and then you can put Larry Markin on, on Al Horford. Then you have Taylor Hendricks and Ochag Baji to be able to play on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, Keontae George to guard whoever's left. That's where it gets really fun. I think the defensive combination of Ochai, Hendricks, Kessler is a lot of fun. While on the offensive side, you have a four-out, one-in system um, with hopefully a really good playmaker in Keontae George and a couple of really good like spot-down shooters playing within a system guys in these other four guys. So I think that becomes a really attractive lineup. That's a really interesting lineup. That's like that when you look at a lineup like that, you're like, man, that, what is what does that lineup really lack? I think what it does lack is probably like a secondary playmaker who's going to be the guy that can take up some of the playmaking reps if Keontae George starts to get double teamed or if they just completely take Keontae George out of the basketball game, if the defense does. I think that's where some of the questions come in. The third lineup, this is this is kind of a fun lineup. Uh, this is the lineup that will dunk on you. All right, so you got Taylor Horton Tucker at the one, Ochag Baji at the two, Laurie Markinen at the three, John Collins at the four, and Walker Kessler at the five. So I couldn't really decide whether or not I wanted Walker Kessler, but I think when you're looking at like who are the best five dunkers on the team, you feel good about... John Collins, Larry Markin, and Ochai Baji, Taylor Horton Tucker. As far as like a fifth guy, I mean, I'm not saying Keontae George, Colin Sexton, or Chris Dunn from the guard position. Definitely not Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I don't think it's Lucas Samanich or Bryce Sensava. I really, I think you go to, I, I don't think it's Kelly Olenek. I do think you go down the list and it, it becomes clear that it's Walker Kessler. Well, I don't I don't feel like Walker Kessler's like a poster you dunk on you type of athlete, you know. I think he has a lot of really impressive functional athleticism, but I don't know if his dunking necessarily fits the criteria as well as some of these other guys. That being said, these four other guys I think would just be scary, especially in transition. I've talked a lot about how I like Taylor Horton Tucker as a transition playmaker and how I think he does really good. Imagine him being able to set up Ochag Baji, Larmarkin, and John Collins and Walker Kessler, four guys that can get out, can run, and most importantly, can finish plays, can dunk over anybody. I think that's a ton of fun. And I think that'd be a really fun lineup to watch as a Utah Jazz fan. Fourth lineup. Okay, we got two more. This is the defense only lineup. I do think this is a lineup that you could potentially see in the regular season. Whereas some of these other ones, I mean, I think you could make a case to see any of these lineups in the regular season. But this one does feel like it's it, we could see it. So this is like a, a lineup that ideally capitalizes on defense. So at the one, you have Chris Dunn. At the two, you have Ochai Baji. At the three, Taylor Hendricks. At the four, John Collins. At the five, Walker Kessler. 
So here's what was hard about this lineup. I do think when you're looking at like who the best defenders are now and who are going to be the best defenders, I do think Taylor Hendricks works himself into that conversation. The, the question becomes whether or not you're going to put him at the three or the four. I think generally when you're thinking defense, size is usually a good thing. And so putting in John Collins at the four, putting in Taylor Hendricks, who in an ideal world will be able to guard the threes of the NBA at the three, I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Chris Dunn and Ochag Baji putting backwards in hell is just an incredible visual. And I think that would be really fun. Where that becomes even more interesting is when they have a lot of size behind them holding and protecting the rim in John Collins, Walker Kessler, and Taylor Hendricks. I think this lineup, I, I think there's a strong case for this lineup to be played at times. Like I said, that's a lot of defense. And I don't think it has like a, it clearly has some offensive limitations because Dunn isn't necessarily a shooter, though he shot like near 45% from three last season. Uh, we don't know how Collins is going to be as a shooter. Kessler definitely isn't a shooter. So you're almost looking at like three non-shooters playing with Ochai Posh and Taylor Hendricks. And Taylor Hendricks is an unproven shooter at the NBA level. So as far as like offensively, that's kind of an ugly lineup. That's a lineup that's probably going to not have a great shot diet. And it's probably going to try to get a lot of stuff inside. However, you have a, an experienced playmaker in Chris Dunn. You have Ochai Baji who can spread the floor. If Taylor Hendricks, if the shooting is there. If John Collins, if the shooting is there. And then Walker Kessler just doing his normal thing. Then all of a sudden that lineup gets to... That is a really attractive. That's a fun lineup, I think. And that would be a lineup that would make life miserable for a lot of teams. Okay, this last lineup. This one. This one's just for fun. Kelly Olynyk at the one, Larry Markinen at the two, Taylor Hendricks at the three, John Collins at the four, Walker Kessler at the five. As you probably guessed it, this is the all-big lineup. I think this lineup would be a lot of fun to see. Um, you can almost make a case for this to be a lineup that you see in the regular season. I think it would be pretty ugly uh, because generally... <laughs> I mean, let's say... You're playing the Memphis Grizzlies, and they put Marcus Smart on Kelly Olynyk. Then your playmaking duties maybe fall to like Taylor Hendricks or Larry Markkinen. That's when I think things could get really ugly. However, the idea of near nearly five seven footers, guys that are nearly five, nearly seven feet. Kessler and Markkinen are both seven footers. The other guys are like in that six nine to six eleven range. That's such a fun idea, and I think that would be so much fun to watch. That's so much size. That would make life absolutely miserable for opponents to deal with, On especially rebounding. Like Those aren't five rebounding scrub bigs. Like these, these are some solid rebounders. That lineup would just be a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to close with some thoughts on uh, Giannis and Embiid and how the Jazz could fit into that situation. Uh, particularly in the summer of 2024. So one of the big stories, probably the biggest two stories of this offseason, it hasn't been Damian Lillard, it hasn't been James Harden, though it's been connected to James Harden. I think the biggest story of this offseason has been Giannis's comments. 
um, and maybe it, it's not getting the attention that it necessarily deserves. But Giannis has said over the past couple of weeks that he wants to play for a franchise that is committed to winning. So this is kind of the first time we're seeing Giannis be vocal about potentially a change of situation. Uh, there were a couple of years ago where he mentioned like Chicago as being a team that he would love to play for in his life, you know. I don't think people were putting too much stock into that comment necessarily. This is interesting though, because all of a sudden Giannis is kind of changing the landscape of the NBA and how things are going to play out this next season. So as part of like Giannis's desire to play for a franchise that is committed to winning, a lot of this falls on the Bucks and how they do this regular season, this postseason, because uh, they, they just had a really good regular season this last season and then lost in the first round. So I think the postseason expectations are high. The question is how high? Like, would a conference finals be sufficient for Giannis? Would a finals be sufficient? Or does he have to win a championship? The other part of it is... Are the Milwaukee Bucks signaling to Giannis that they're putting together a winning team? I think there are different ways to signal this to your players. I think uh, looking at his team, it's it's an old team. Uh, Drew Holiday is getting old. Chris Middleton is getting old. Brooke Lopez is like 35. Like You look at like the second to fourth best players, those are three, those are three old dudes. And I think that makes it a difficult situation for Giannis to be in, especially in the long run. Uh, because they're, at some point, like the Milwaukee Bucks, they're going to run out of assets. They're going to run out of players. I wouldn't necessarily consider Milwaukee a free agent destination. I think the Milwaukee Bucks probably make a trade this season. And that's how they're going to be able to signal to Giannis that they're committed to winning. I think that's one of the best ways to signal to your franchise superstar that you're con- that you're committed to winning is by making those moves. I think the first move was firing Coach Budenholzer, um, who, whether fairly or not, received a lot of criticism. And then they hired a guy that Giannis pretty much approved of in Adrian Griffin. Great, great hiring, by the way. Like he going into last offseason when the Utah Jazz were looking for their coach, I thought he was on the short list of coaches that they interviewed, and I thought he would have been an, an, a really interesting fit. Um, So I think that was a good place for Milwaukee to start because they've gotten him the coach that he wants. He's been involved in that process. Um, So now they're going to have to start, like, I think they're going to make a move, whether that's during the regular season, before the season starts. They're probably going to make a move, and they're going to be try to acquire a guy. Um, one of the ideas that's been thrown out is like packaging Grayson Allen, former Jasmine, Pat Connaughton, and I believe they have a 2029 first round pick available. So those are like three assets that you could package out. None of those guys are on like bad contracts. Neither of those guys are on bad contracts. Neither of them are bad players like to the right situation. I think they could both be valuable. So would that, would that be enough to get a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic? Probably. Yeah. Um, 
And if that's the case, like maybe you're looking at switching one of those guys out for Bobby Portis. Is that enough to signal to Giannis that your franchise is committed to winning? I don't know. So I really ultimately think it's going to come down to where the Bucks finish in the playoffs. And if they're a team that goes into the playoffs and is healthy and has no excuses and gets to the finals, wins it all, then you're probably, this conversation maybe doesn't become a thing for two more years. And Giannis probably renegotiates his extension, re-extends with the Milwaukee Bucks for a couple of years. Uh, I could see him possibly trying to maintain some, some flexibility because I'm sure he's well aware of like how old his teammates are. So I think that's maybe that's that's one outcome. Um, the other is what happens if the Milwaukee Bucks just flat up fall short? Do they just blow it up? Do they just cut their losses? Especially if Giannis signals to the team that he's done, that he wants out. That's when you start to shop around the market. And this is where the Utah Jazz come in. And this is where it gets really exciting and really fun to think about especially when we haven't watched basketball for like nearly three months. These are kind of the conversations that keep you sane. Or maybe they're the conversations that make you insane. So what is he going to want? What is Giannis going to want? I'm sure he will have some say in where he goes. Look, Giannis isn't leaving his franchise the same way Damian Lillard is leaving his franchise or the same way James Harden left the Houston Rockets. Giannis has won a championship. Milwaukee Bucks fans are forever going to love Giannis Antetokounmpo. That is a great thing. So what what's Giannis going to want? I think the first thing he's going to want is a young team that is capable of winning. Because I, he's going to want to maximize his championship window. He's going to want to have a certain number of years that he'll be able to play, hopefully win, insert himself into some greatest of all time conversations. I think that's probably where Giannis's head is at. Milwaukee will also want to trade him to a team that has the assets to make that kind of a trade happen. Sorry, Lakers fans, that probably excludes you, as well as Heat fans, Clippers fans, Warriors fans. I I don't know if any of you guys have the assets to put or can put a good enough package together. There's kind of like these five teams that I could I could kind of see it. The New York Knicks, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Utah Jazz, the Houston Rockets, and the San Antonio Spurs. All of these teams have young cores. They have good players. They are starting to put themselves in positions to win. And they have assets. And so I think you're both meeting Milwaukee's criteria and meeting Giannis's criteria. I'm not going to get too much into these other teams because they're not teams that I'm familiar with as well as I am with the Jazz in this. After all, this is a Utah Jazz podcast. So I want to kind of look at like what the Utah Jazz could potentially offer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. In case you've forgotten, the Utah Jazz have some picks. In 2024, they have their own first round pick. It's protected 1-10, to 10, and if it falls out of that that top 10 then it goes to Oklahoma City in 2025 the Utah Jazz own their first pick their first round pick 
the Cleveland Cavaliers unprotected first round pick and the Minnesota Timberwolves unprotected first round pick. In 2026, they own their own first round pick as well as a pick swap with Minnesota and a second round pick. In 2027, they own their own first round pick. They own the Cleveland Cavaliers unprotected first round pick. They own the Minnesota Timberwolves first round unprotected first round pick. They own the Los Angeles Lakers first round pick protected one through four. I believe if that protection um, holds, if that pick lands in the top four, then that turns into two second round picks. In 2028, the Utah Jazz own their own first round pick, the Minnesota Timberwolves first round pick, and their own second round pick. And then I believe in 2029, they own their own first round pick and the first round pick of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's a lot of draft capital. That's a lot of assets. That's just the draft capital. As far as players they could offer, Keontae George. Don't hate me yet, Jazz fans. Don't hate me yet. Taylor Hendricks, Bryce Sensabaugh, Ochag Baji, Walker Kessler, John Collins to fulfill a certain salary specification. That's a package, guys. That's uh, probably a really attractive package. Um, I don't imagine you'd be giving up all of that, and I do imagine you would be able to keep a good amount of, let's see, how many picks did the Utah Jazz even have? They have like close to 13 picks, I think. And then you, you're you not throwing in like all six of those guys. You're throwing in maybe a couple of them, maybe three, maybe four, but probably like three of those guys. And all of a sudden, Giannis comes into a situation with Larry Markkinen with a team that still has draft capital, still has assets, assets to improve. Uh, just the sheer thought of Larry Markkinen and Giannis running down the court together is so mind-bending for me. I'm not even going to get my hopes up because that would absolutely change the way I see this world. But Giannis would... Let's be clear, Giannis probably walks into the franchise and walks in as the most talented, the best player that's ever played for the Utah Jazz. So how how much are you willing to offer? Is it going to turn into a bidding war? Is it just going to be Danny Ainge versus Sam Presti? Look, all of this is contingent on Giannis. This whole conversation could be nullified if the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship this next year. But if they don't, which is probably the more likely outcome, statistically speaking, then the Utah Jazz are as well positioned as almost any other team in the NBA to make a big trade. And I, I and I do think the sell of Giannis going from Milwaukee to Utah, two cities that are kind of similar, both cold cities, um... I don't think that's like a terribly hard sell. Maybe Giannis is bent on playing in New York or playing in Miami or playing in Los Angeles, in which case it becomes a much harder sell. But if Giannis just wants to go to the situation where he thinks he'll be able to win and win a championship, then the Utah Jazz, like I said, are as well positioned as almost any other team in the NBA. So that that's far away, guys. We still have a whole season of Utah Jazz basketball. But I do think it has some immediate effects. Uh, for one, I don't think we're going to see the Utah Jazz be particularly active in the trade market. 
let's say a guy like Zach Levine becomes available. I don't think Utah Jazz are going to be shopping their best best assets to try and go get Zach Levine. The other guy that falls into sort of this question is Joel Embiid. Um, I think his situation and the idea of Joel Embiid on the Utah Jazz is a less attractive overall thought idea situation than with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Embiid's probably also just like a less attractive player because we've seen him in the postseason year after year. And there's been this hurdle that he himself hasn't been able to jump over. There's this whole injury history. There's, there's a lot where it's kind of easy to talk yourself out of Joel Embiid. At the same time, the guys just won the the center, uh, the the most valuable player award as a center, and he averaged like <laughs> it's kind of crazy because I don't I don't know if people are, are like totally aware of what Joel Embiid did last season, but the guy averaged thirty three points per game, ten rebounds, four assists, shot fifty six. 55% from the field, 33% from three, 85% from the line. Joel Embiid is very talented. And I said Giannis probably comes into the franchise being like the best player to ever play for the for the Utah Jazz. Joel Embiid probably comes into the franchise and is the third best player that's ever played for the Utah Jazz. Like I think you could make an argument for him over Stockton and Malone, but there's no way you're making an argument for him or Donovan Mitchell over him, or Rudy Gobert over him, or Darren Williams, Adrian Dantley, Daryl Griffith. No. It's Joel Embiid, Carl Malone, and John Stockton. Like, that's where you're at. So if you can get that kind of talent, if Joel Embiid signals that, like, he would go to Utah, he would re-extend with Utah, that that's somewhere he wants to be, he's excited about the culture, he's excited about the city, then I think you really take a long, hard look at that trade, look at him as a player, and it's probably something that you end up doing. Jazz fans, if the Jazz to choose to trade for Joel Embiid, you're also probably saying goodbye to Walker Kessler. So, I know for a lot of fans, there's a certain sentimental value. And look, these players are not just players. They're not just assets. They're real people. So, it's totally okay to have some sort of attachment to them. But if the Utah Jazz get Joel Embiid, you're probably saying goodbye to Walker Kessler. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Swish Lake City podcast. As always, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Make sure to use code SWISH to get access to that. Play some fun bets. Uh, We got Jazz basketball soon. Um, Stay tuned next week for another episode focusing on the two Collins, Colin Sexton and John Collins. I want to kind of break them down as players, break down some expectations. And then, guys, we're almost there. We're we're going to have training camp soon. We're going to have the start of the preseason. And then regular season is like just a little over 30 days away. It's a lot of fun, guys. Stay tuned. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at JazzLead as well as subscribe to me on YouTube, Switch Lake City, and make sure to leave a five-star review for anybody that's listening on Apple or Spotify. I appreciate it, and thank you again for listening.